Hey, everybody. We want to thank you all who have supported the show. And anybody who is interested in supporting the show can check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash xchateau, or you can find the link on xchateau.com. We have over 100 episodes, and by becoming a patron, you can get access to 100-plus episodes. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we're going to be exploring a business model built on collaborations. And our guest is Gilles Nicot, Director of Winemaking and Viticulture of Long Shadows in Columbia Valley, Washington State. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Robert. I'm really excited to be here. I was wondering if you could give Peter and I a brief overview of your background. Yeah, so I was born and raised in France, obviously. And so in the south of France, in Provence, Avignon, so... My dad was in the wine business, but in the sales and marketing side of it. So when came to be in Avignon, Provence, at a winemaking school, and so I decided to attend the winemaking school in Avignon for four years. And after four years of viticulture and winemaking, I decided to do a one-year internship. And I was thinking to go outside of France to explore something international. So I was thinking... Australia, I was thinking Napa, and somehow I found a one-year internship in Yakima, Washington State. So I've been working in Washington State since 1994. So actually in 1994, when I arrived in the Columbia Valley in Washington State, it was about 75 wineries in Washington State back then, and now we're more than way more than a thousand wineries. So totally as Develop and I just love it. The terroir is just incredible in Washington State. It must be interesting watching all that develop. We first learned about Long Shadows when we were interviewed uh, Juan Munoz Oka, the head winemaker for St. Michelle Wine Estates. And we were talking about collaborations in episode 105. And he thought your concept was super interesting. And we were curious, how did the concept of Long Shadows come about? It all came with Alan Troop. And actually, you're talking about Juan. Juan works at Chateau St. Michel. So actually, uh, the founder of Long Shadows Vintners was a president CEO of Chateau Saint-Michel for over 20 years, Alan Shoup. So Alan Shoup, who was a good friend, his mentor was Robert Mondavi. So when the Mondavi and the Rothschild started Opus One, it was already somewhat so that type of collaboration, partnership in between old world and new world. And so Alan thought, that's exactly what I want to do. I, and so when he was at Chateau Saint-Michel, he did a partnership with Dr. Lucen to do Eroica, and then also a partnership with Antinori to do Col Solari. And so then he retired after 20 years at Chateau Saint-Michel and enjoyed so much doing this partnerships that decided to found Long Shadows Wittners and Long Shadows Wittners being like a umbrella for seven partnerships, collaborations with international renowned winemakers. Yeah, so the business model for Long Shadows is so unique with each wine being a collaboration with you and another famous winemaker. Can you tell us a few examples of the winemakers that you partner with and why this model was chosen to be like its own unique business of all collaborations? Yeah, and I think that's a great question because it really starts anyway with the terroir and the Washington state, the Columbia Valley. Columbia Valley is on the east side of the state. And because if you think about Washington state, we think of it as the evergreen state, but we have a very specific terroir past the Cascade Mountain. So the Cascade Mountain holds back all the moisture from the ocean. 
if you go past these mountains, it's bone dry. There's like at places only like six inches of rain a year. And during the summer, we go to like 100 plus degree very easily. And that's been true for almost 30 years that I've been here. And we have a lot of different aspects and canyons and whatnot. And I think one of the big assets of the Columbia Valley is diversity. And because of that diversity, we, we don't grow Pinot Noir really well or not, but we grow amazing Bordeaux varietals, Rhone varietals, Italian varietals, some Spanish varietals, or even Riesling, Chardonnay. We have a great potential to make worldwide, world quality there. And so the idea that Alan had was to bring these experts from around the world to help us showcase the trade in using the Columbia Valley grapes. So one of them is Armin Dill from Schlossgottdill in the Nahi Valley. And so basically, we don't want them to duplicate what they do in their own country. We are not Germany or so. So when Armin Dill comes to Washington State, we've been working together really closely since 2003, actually, for now 20 years or so, and looking at what the terroir of Washington State can provide. And then we follow their style, their winemaking techniques, viticulture practices, and to try to establish one wine pair partners. So for Armin Dill, it's called Poet Sleep. It's one Riesling, a Riesling that we do everything by hand from uh, the canopy management, hand pick, and whole cluster pressed. We're really trying to put everything toward quality. It's really important to us. And then when we do the blend, we have all these different fermenters that we have kept separate with different clones, different blocks and whatnot. And we really try to look into a wine, a Riesling, that's going to have that great balance between residual sugar, usually about 1%, but then with that brightness, bright, lively, natural acidity that we have in Washington State. So, so that's kind of what we've, the direction we've been going since 2003 for Poet Sleep. Then we also work with the Giovanni Folonari, the Folonari family. So it's uh, Ambrosio and his son Giovanni Folonari. And so since they are like from uh, Tuscany, we do like a super Tuscan style wine with San Giovese and Cabernet Sauvignon for like the backbone and uh, some Syrah to bring a little bit more darkness and spiciness and whatnot. And then we have also Pedestal. Pedestal is Michel Roland. So Michel Roland being from Pomerol, probably at least in the industry, one of the world's most famous winemakers or not, but being from Pomerol, we make a Merlot with him. So we follow kind of some of the techniques that he had developed over the years to make his pedestal, that's the name for the Merlot that we do with him. And then we have also Pirouette. With Pirouette, it's a Bordeaux blend that we've developed with Augustin Hernes. So he's from Chile, but he has Quintessa in Napa Valley among many other wineries. But Quintessa is one wine, it's a Bordeaux, you know, like a heritage type of wine. So that's why that's a Bordeaux blend. But per se, Augustine is not a winemaker. So he decided to do the partnership with Melka. So I get to work with Philip Melka on these techniques there. And then we have a Feather. And Feather is a 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. For Cabernet Sauvignon, we decided to partner with Randy Dunn from Napa Valley, from the Hall Mountain. I'm Again, Randy also from the 70s been dedicated to like 100% cab and we thought it was a perfect fit for him to come and work with us in the Columbia Valley. And then we have also Sequel, that's a Syrah that we make with John Duval 
from Australia. So it's like one of the icon winemakers in the Barossa Valley. And it's been incredible to work with him as well for 20 years where he brought a lot of different techniques, winemaking techniques, and he's so dedicated to quality. I mean, he's such a great guy too. And, and then the seventh wine, when Alan Shoup hired me to oversee all the winemaking on site here at Long Shadows and getting to work really closely with each one of our partners since 2003, he said, let's make a wine together too. What would you like to make? And so when I was in France going to school, I would go and work at Chateau Revelet in Coteau d'Aix-en-Provence, where the owner there, Peter Fisher, used kind of to experiment with Cabernet Sauvignon and Syrah, like blending together. And so I decided to use Cabernet Sauvignon and Syrah blend that I keep for 30 months in French oak barrel. So kind of something, we want our wines, each one of our wines to be very distinctive, really high quality, consistent, but distinctive. So that's somehow what we've been doing all these years. Wow, that's amazing. And you have quite the job interacting with all these, the, some of the best winemakers in, all over the world. Has this number of wines and collaborations been there from the start or is it has it changed over time and things got layered on over time? No, so from the start. So with Giovanni Folonari, it came in 2004 instead of 2003. But otherwise, it's been the same because what we do for them is partnership. So in so they don't come as consultant to us. We give them 25% ownership of their wine, of their label. So like Michel Roland has 25% equity in pedestal. And so when he comes, he's not a consultant, but part owner. And we really work very closely together like this. And, and but so we've done this partnership uh, in 2003, and we've then just moved on with it and never changed it. So that's... If it's partnerships, then is each wine basically a separate company? Yes, and actually Alan Shoup at the beginning even wanted uh, to like spin them out once they became profitable. But the thing at the same time, Long Shadows also became quite a name, you know, and really very renowned too. And having one partnership, like a collaboration like this is quite impressive and solid, but having a umbrella of seven of them was also like, very impressive. So we kept Long Shadows as it is all together. So normally when you hire these types of people as consultants like Michelle Roland, you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year or at least a hundred, depends on <laughs> how much time you get from him and his team and which you know makes the cost of the wine very high. In this partnership model, is it just that they get 25% equity and there's no other fees or how does that work? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we give them the 25%, they didn't have to invest money. And in return, they have to work really closely with me. And, and when you think about it, think at least my theory is when they come as a consultant, they really have to bring something to the table, you know, and, and for the quality. And I mean, as a consultant, if you need a consultant, is they need to be on top. Somehow, what I'm trying to say is that with Philippe or uh, Michel Roland, that Michel's been, you know, that consultant for so many years, when it comes to me and we work together, then I think is a lot more, you know, uh, at least what I see on my hand is they're a lot more relaxed, I say, like, if they don't feel pressure on any part, what where they feel the pressure is to really go for quality, because somehow, that's going to be their wine, their name is attached to pedestal and sequel and pirouette. So, so it has to be like top quality. But when they come, they come as a partner and not like as a consultant. So it's not a job for them. It's like their own label. 
And as a partner, do they help with the promotion and sales of the wines as well? Yeah, part of the contract, we say that we do all this. So it definitely helps to have the name of Michel Roland and John Duval because they're huge names. We really did that to bring the different winemaking techniques and viticulture practices. And we wanted like creme de la creme to really bring up the quality to be as high as possible. But even when they don't necessarily help being on the market, selling the wine hand to hand, we definitely, you know, talk about their different techniques. So we talk about their partnerships and that helps a lot. I am curious on how you work with each of them. Does it vary by person or is it to have kind of like a framework of how you expect to work with each of the winemakers? I think it kind of varies a little bit and they're also on a different hemisphere. So with John Duval, over the years, it's been, we started 20 years, so things have evolved since, you know. But John Duval will be one of the winemakers that could come during harvest because Michel Roland will not be here during harvest because he was busy in Bordeaux and everything. So everybody had different way to work with uh, Long Shadows Bittners and the interaction that they had with me. But what was really interesting, and each one of these partner winemakers, they really looked at what the terroir was going to provide to the wine that we wanted to, to create. And they did, like even Michel Roland didn't just like send me a little email saying, do that and that. He was really listening to me and looking at what the growing season was about and what kind of the texture of the tannins were. And like we were talking a lot to trying to establish the style of pedestal. And same is true with each one of our winemaker partners. If they did not just come and give me like a recipe because winemaking is not a recipe anyway. I was a little bit afraid of that at the beginning. When Alan was putting all this together, I thought, I don't want just to have like seven recipes that I'm going to follow. That's not my style, and I don't think that's what winemaking is about. And they really came and pitched in and really looked into each vintage, what the Columbia Valley was about. And what's the, in the Columbia Valley, one of the assets as well is we don't have only one AVA. We have many, many AVA. So we used to own one vineyard, and but I've done a lot of acreage contract over the years because only one vineyard will not work for each one of our partners. So we go all across the... Columbia Valley AVA that have now AVAs like Red Mountain, Walla Walla Valley, or Seven Hills. We have like now like 15 AVAs. And that really brings to us a lot of different flavors, texture into the grapes and different varietals. And that allows me to work with people from Germany, Italy, Napa Valley, and or Chile or, or Australia. You talk about that each of the winemakers is really interested in the terroir and what, what makes these wines interesting. I am curious on, so you said you had one vineyard. Are you buying vineyards? Are they state vineyards? Are you, or is everything through contract? And is that something that you guys are setting out in terms of looking, you're going out together looking for vineyards that are planted? Or are you going and saying, hey, I want to plant this in this location? Yeah, both. So some of the vineyard, some of the blocks that I'm getting were planted like in 72, some of them early 80s, and I love older vines. And so, so when I'm able to access some uh, old vines, I'm going to do acreage contract. And obviously, we don't have a choice in the aspect of it. We don't have a choice on clonage or uh, clonal selection. But then at the same time, we're able to work with different growers and plant, like with, uh, for the Riesling, the Poet Sleep, we planted a lot of German clones and like aspect where it's a little bit higher elevation above the Columbia River where there's always a good airflow and uh, but yet a little bit cooler and it really has helped tremendously the quality of the Poet Sleep over the years. So we kind of 
go both ways. We have sold the vineyard that we own, and so now we do all acreage contract, but sometimes we have a lot more say on at plantation time, and sometimes it's been planted for a long time. And is the volume of each of these wines relatively fixed, or is there an expectation of growth from the partners? The expectation is also by Alan Schoop and the president, Dan Narbets, that's who really runs the company. But the expectation over quantity is going to always be quality. And so that's why we have actually a second label wine. We're, we call it Nine Hats. And so we make all the wine and we once all the wine is made, we keep it all separate. And that's when we start blending with our partners and whatnot. And then whatever does not quite make the cut for pedestal or pirouette or sagi, then it's going to go to our second label. And that really brings up the quality, how consistent it's going to be, and the style that we want to achieve. And in terms of, you mentioned that the Columbia Valley, all the different sub-AVAs, but I don't see any of those AVAs on the wine bottles, at least not on the website. Is that something that you are using those different AVAs to give like different flavor profiles that you're just trying to get to a final product? Or is it something that you plan to highlight, like something like Red Mountain in the future? Actually, what's interesting in the Washington state, Columbia Valley is a huge AVA. And within the Columbia Valley, we have these, like you said, sub-appellations like Red Mountain. So... For us, I think, again, one of the assets of Washington State, like for John Duval, for example, we get some of the Syrah coming from Boucher Vineyard. It's in, planted in Yakima Valley, where it's a little bit cooler, bring that brightness to the sequel. And then we also get some Syrah coming from the Red Mountain. And, and the Red Mountain is going to bring that backbone and whatnot. And actually, we have some from the White Bluff, which is Bacchus, that was not planted in 1993, and brings that incredible darkness and spiciness. And so we have three vineyards going to sequel and each AVA brings something special to sequel. And we somewhat do the same with pedestal. We do the same with each one of our wines. So, so we have several sub-appellations going to each one of our wines to make it more complete. And so we call it Columbia Valley. Got it. Okay. So you're using it for their unique profiles, but you're not necessarily singularly highlighting one of those areas. So given all this work that you've done over the last 20 years, with so many different winemakers. I'm curious on how this has personally impacted your winemaking or your winemaking knowledge. Oh, that's very interesting because even though I did four years at School of Viticulture and Winemaking, I've learned so much over 20 years working with each one of these winemakers. And 20 years ago in 2003, when uh, we started with Alan Shoe putting together like the growing season coming in, the first growing season, I was thinking somehow they were all these incredible winemakers, renowned winemakers, were somewhat going to be similar on making wine. And what I've learned, they were all so different. If you take Randy Dunn and Michel Roland or even John Duval or Giovanni Folonari, they all have such a different optics and, and a philosophy on how to make the wine. But I've, what I've learned is a lot that somehow I was able to somehow raise Many different ways to make a wine. And we know that like sometimes in Washington State, again, one vineyard sometimes sells to like 40 winemakers. And each time you test the grapes from one block and you test all the different winemakers' wine from the same block, they all taste so different. And so now I'm working with the top-notch creme de la creme winemakers from around the world. And somehow also they have all these different philosophy, like Randy Dunn wants, we, were, we have a double sorting table to take all the jacks out and uh, towards the beginning, yes, we are sorting all the little jacks out at crushing time. 
Randy took the bucket and put it back on the sorting table, you know, when Michelle Roland, like, doesn't want one little piece of it, you know. So somehow what I learned is kind of being a little bit broader, you know, open-minded about all kind of winemaking. And so do the winemakers influence each other through this process or are they all so separate that and they're stuck in their ways of doing it? What's pretty cool about them, they're not stuck in their ways, they're very open-minded and they've always been very interested to, like John Duval always asked me, you know, how Michel goes and Randy Dunn was also very interested to see how, they asked me a question on how the other guys do, but at the beginning, 2003, 2004, I thought it was really cool to try to get all the winemakers together and blend all together. And it was, I couldn't follow it, you know. It's like I had to do more like sit down and do blending one-on-one because like Michel Roland is incredible the way he blends wine. He started, have, so sometimes we have like 25 different lots in front of the table to make pedestal and he started making a little blend with bottle three and bottle 15 and then he makes another little blend there and then he cross blend this blend that he originally made. So it's really for for us, when we blend together, I really want to be focused on one partner. And it's been incredible. I've learned so much. But what I'm saying is that since for 20 years now, we have not like blended with everybody at the same time. So they make their, the one they, the way we looked at over the years, but they don't collaborate together. So it just goes through me. It doesn't make sense? Yeah, totally. Is there a feeling, any feeling of like, competition between all the different winemakers like whose wine is going to be the best and making the most <laughs> wine or scoring the highest or something not really sometimes with, with philip melka we joke about it for sure but the thing is actually what's again was really interesting is Randy done making big cabernet sauvignon in the rent on the hall mountain i thought it's gonna like red mountain because red mountain usually is a little bit you know bigger wines and then I thought Philip Melka is going to like Cabernet Sauvignon from the Horse Heaven Hills because it's a lot more silky and beautiful texture to the wine. And so then on the first year, we all tested it and Randy didn't like Grand Mountain. It's kind of characteristic that much. But then he loved Horse Heaven Hills and Philip Melka didn't like Horse Heaven Hills but loved the Grand Mountain. So what I'm saying there is that the good thing is I've done allocation of blocks and vineyards for each one of these winemakers, and they work with quite different blocks, different vineyards. Sometimes it cross over, but even to try to keep these wines very special, distinctive from one to the other, I like to uh, I like to have different vineyards. But plus, we followed kind of the style of wine we wanted to create over the years, and that somehow we did different partnership with different vineyards. I am curious how this all kind of comes together. I noticed you have a key club, which is like this wine club for all the brands, but they, all the bottles look so different and branding wise, they, look, they seem very distinct. And even from grapes to you know partner winemakers, I'm curious on how that all comes together for the consumer in terms of direct to consumer. Do they understand, how do you explain the concept of long shadows to your direct to consumer customers? So, and I think that's a little bit where the name come from. Long shadows is basically with uh, renowned winemakers casting their long shadows to the Columbia Valley, which Columbia Valley, we're not a new AVA, we're not a new wine producer, but somehow we really started in the early 70s and really got started even stronger in the early 90s. And so I think for the customer, they see it as like these incredible winemakers coming to that new wine region. And I think it brings a momentum to it at the same time. And, and they also bring their own followers, if I might say it like this. And so it brings kind of a new 
brings a new light into the Columbia Valley from around the world because of that as well. Um, so in terms of the wines that go out to the club, is that relatively like everything you make goes into the club or how do you distinguish what goes in to club members? Because it does look like you have different tiers. Yeah, so we have different tiers for sure. The club is huge for us and we that's really where the people really understand our concept and with the different uh, collaborations and, and they get really excited about it. Then we have also two testing rooms at the winery and one uh, close to Seattle in Woodinville where people can come and explore more and understand more uh, the concept of Long Shadows Wittners, test our wine. And then we have also an allocation of our wine to, that goes to distribution. And so we sell our wine for sure in the United States and also internationally, like in Japan also. So part of the aim of Long Shadows, I believe, is to put the Washington wine world on the map, right? On a global map as a leading wine producing region, bringing in these top winemakers from around the world. Do you have a sense of how much impact it's had in the last 20 years? Well, yes and no. The thing is, I think Long Shadows is does it really well and really brought a lot of awareness to Washington State in the wine industry. The truth of the matter is we are not the only amazing winery around here. There's so many people that have brought a lot of different techniques and vision into the Columbia Valley, into Washington State wine industry as well. So we're not the only one. So it's hard to exactly judge how much impact we had. But I know that we were one of the main players for sure. And I'm really proud to be part of it. Have there been some like key moments that may be considered like a pivot point for Washington wine that Long Shadows has been a part of? That's a very interesting question. I'm not sure it's like one special, but for example, our wines, like few wineries around the United States sometimes get selected to go to the White House, you know, for like state dinners or whatnot. And uh, four times they selected Long Shadows. So each time a wine from Washington State goes out and is selected, like, for example, to buy the White House or selected to go to a competition in Japan or something or in Canada, that's just happening as we speak, then I think it definitely sheds some light to Washington State. And so I don't think it's like one specific thing, but overall for us to bring awareness to the rest of the world, for sure. Four times in the White House isn't bad. Yeah, it's <laughs> That's pretty a, good. Most wineries would be happy with one, probably. And how has like the media taken to the concept? Surprisingly for both, I think, Robert and I, we hadn't heard of Long Shadows before Juan mentioned it. So how has the media embraced the concept of Long Shadows? At the beginning, when we started, everybody were really interested on what was happening. I mean, Alan Shoup is incredible. It's, the vision it had was so unique. But at the same time, you know, it was, they were, I think, wondering a little bit how much is like marketing and how much really is going to bring quality to Washington State, how much is going to be the truth, you know. The thing is, when we established it, we really wanted to put everything toward quality. And Alan Shoup is still like this, is anything we do is always about quality. And again, not over quantity, over anything, quality is going to have to be the thing. And so I think, now, the critics, the one critics, definitely see that over 20 years, we've been very consistent. The quality has been really high. We have amazing concentration, intensity in our wines, yet it's always, I think, beautiful, good balance and brightness and vibrant character to our wines. And I think now, over time, it shows that we are a solid collaboration venture in Washington State. So... I am curious, you've been doing this for 20 years with Long Shadows. What's next for Long Shadows? Any new collaborations or are you at 
kind of maximum capacity? No. So I think what's new with Long Shadows is more and more looking at the future because it's been 20 years and many of our partners were already in their 50s, 60s or so. And so now many of them are pushing 75, 80 year old. And so plus with COVID, you know, they couldn't quite travel and come see me. And so we looked at what's going to be the next phase for us. And I've been here from the beginning and was part of the creation of all these wines. So more and more it's going to be me on site following all of the different techniques and uh, practices that we have developed to keep the style and the quality of the wines, but where many of our partners are going to retire. And so that's for me now to be able to carry the flame moving forward. Would you carry the flame or would you launch with a new a new winemaker that, you know, a new generational change of, because I got I to gotta have to assume that if you wanted this to carry on, you'd want to kind of, what got it going this way, the next generation of winemakers might be an interesting evolution of Long Shadows. Yeah, that would be definitely very fun. So actually we started uh, making a Chardonnay and a Sauvignon Blanc. And I was thinking, oh, we should go like to Burgundy or somewhere for a Sauvignon Blanc, like Sancerre or something like there's some amazing winemakers there. But so far we have not started this with a partner. So, so I think, Probably someday, potentially, going to do a partnership, but so far we are not doing it. Well, I mean, at least with Randy Dunn, you could have him hand off to Mike. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and Mike is an awesome guy, so that's, that's very true. So we want to wrap up the episode on a personal note. And I'm curious, especially given all the winemakers that you get to taste with, what was the most memorable wine you've consumed in the last year and who did you drink it with? So I did that testing with a, a, so our president at Long Shadows Wittners is Dan Narbet, and someone brought, wanted to do a little like clip, a video of us testing the 1998 Penfold Grange against the first vintage of Sequel 2003. And so we did that, and I was thinking, holy shit, what's going to happen? You know, I mean, like the first vintage of Sequel in Washington, instead of me working with John Duval and his wine that he has developed since the 50s, making like one of the top world in the world and um, of the 1998 Penfold Grange. So the Penfold Grange was incredible, like the brightness and the intensity, the concentration, just incredible wine. But actually the O3 sequel was holding really tight against it. I mean, a little bit maybe more richness, darkness or whatnot, because the Grange had a lot of acidity, you know, and brightness. And for 1998, it was incredible. But I have to say that the 2003 sequel was holding its own for sure. So it was really fun for me. And you get to taste those with John Duvall as well? No, John was not there, unfortunately. I have in the past, but not this time. Got it. Well, we want to thank you for sharing the concept of Long Shadows. I think a lot of our listeners will really find it quite interesting because it's, it's really quite unique. From all the people we've talked to in the wine industry, this is a, like the fact that it was built around these collaborations from, the, from its inception is really quite ingenious. Yeah, thank you so much, Robert. And Peter, it was also great talking with you. And it's a pleasure. And I hope you someday you can come and visit us at the winery. We look forward to it. Thank you. Bye, guys. Don't forget to support the show at xchateau.com or patreon.com slash xchateau. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>